went to San Francisco to a fancy food show with a friend. I had cheese in my purse. <laughs> and I really was shy then because I'd been in the hills and I hadn't been around people that much. And so my girlfriend said, um, she just literally pushed me up to the Columbus booth. And she says, this is my friend Mary. She makes really good cheese. Would you like to try it? And somehow they bought our cheese. I don't know why. And it was, um, that was our first distributor. And we still sell to them like 20 some years later. Then the next step was I went with another distributor and we, I did my first little food show and it was their in-house show and, and the Safeway buyer came by and he picked up the little discs and he says, oh, this is nice, we'll take it. And I said, don't you even want to taste it? And he said, the packaging's good, um, so people will buy it once and if it doesn't taste good, they won't buy it again, so we'll drop you. It was very matter-of-fact and it was my first... I was horrified, you know, that they were going to be so mean, it seemed at the time, and not mean, but, you know, so I was not business-focused at all, but it made perfect sense, and, you know, so I guess the cheese was good because they kept buying it. This is real food, handmade by people who love what they do. This is Cheese by Hand. Today on Cheese by Hand, we introduce you to Mary Keene, owner and founder of Cypress Grove Chev. Mary created Humboldt Fog, one of, if not the most widely recognized American original on the artisan cheese market. Keep this in mind as you listen to her talk about her more than humble beginnings. Well, I got my first goats in 1970 when my um, oldest daughter was about ready to eat solid food, so I wanted healthy food for her, and we lived in Sonoma. So I, um, they had a cow dairy next door, and I asked them, they used uh, goats for brush control. So I asked the woman if I could buy a goat from her, and she says, honey, if you can catch one, you can have it. She was this old, <laughs> old woman. So there were these really rugged, not fancy dairy goats. So I sat there with grain every day and caught this first goat, and, and so that's how I started. I had the goats, and I loved the goats so much that I, and I'm too frugal to throw the milk away, and by then, you know, I had 50 goats. You have to do something with the milk, you know. And I was a vegetarian, so raising calves wasn't all that satisfying for me. So... I mean, I just had to make cheese. There was nothing else to do. And I had four daughters and single mom. And what else are you going to do? You're going to figure out a way to support your family with what you've got. You know, we, I think a lot of us were pretty basic that way. It was the hippie era and all that, you know. I had no clue what I was doing. I had no cheese background other than just taught myself how to do it. Basically, you know, just I read every book I could. I talked to cow milk producers. I did as much research as I could, but at the time there really weren't all these books about cheese making. So it's a little bit of guesswork. And we did a lot of things wrong, you know, and I think Allison would say the same thing. You make a lot of mistakes and it's that, that was the school we went to, is doing it wrong, you know. <laughs> you read all the books and, and you make the mistakes and do the best you can. And 
luckily at the time there weren't there wasn't a lot of competition so I mean I think uh, Laura Chanel had started Allison but she was on the East Coast and nobody even thought of cheese growing across the country at that time I mean it was a big deal to go to San Francisco I remember Allison saying that first ACS I mean we just all sat there and just about cried because the cheeses were all bad you know, oh they were like... horrid <laughs> they were horrid you know and if you won an award there it just meant there was you had an edible cheese. That's all it meant. <laughs> Somebody wasn't going to get sick. Kind of amazing, right? As someone who has worked in cheese shops on both coasts and has sold cheeses from every region of the country in those shops, I can say that it's hard to imagine that cheese didn't used to travel across the country. And I should add that although cheese does make it across the country today, shipping and distribution is still one of the most challenging aspects of the business. But selling locally or even regionally likely made sense when Mary started out. She was a small farmstead cheesemaker. As her cheeses gained popularity, she increased her production and grew her business. Listening to her talk about the early years, it was apparent how attached she had been to her goats. So I asked what had prompted her to let them go and to let go of her status as a farmstead producer. My back. <laughs> and, you know, I mean, hay comes in 100 and 200 ba- pound bales, and I was single mom. And, you know, it's just I couldn't do a good job. And then when you have cheese, you have to go to do some marketing events you have to. And I would come back, and whoever was watching the goats didn't do the best job, and I'm pretty compulsive. And so I wasn't satisfied. And then this woman offered me enough money to make it worth it and a good home for... I mean, it was just the perfect situation. It was the right time for me, and it was the right time for the goats. And we had... I'd been working with local herds, and we still do that, so... So how did you forge those those relationships, you know, finding your milk sources? Yeah. Well, it's, you know, just like everything else, a little bit at a time. So there was another herd that came on shortly after mine, um, and she was growing as my herd was growing. And then, you know, the word gets out, and now we have cow dairies switching to goats, and I'm thrilled about that because they're expert at milk production. In the early days it was show herds and they were more focused on goats as an art form and all of that. But now these are real dairy people and they do, you know, they get it about clean milk. And we pay a bonus for clean milk. And, you know, so our milk supply has gotten so much better when I began to focus on the cheese. You know, and that for me is worth the trade-off of not having the goats anymore. It makes sense. You know, and that's how life goes, I think. And although we're not farmstead, I think we have that spirit of farmstead where the goats are out on pasture, you know, they're walking and and living a goat life. (laughs) So that makes them healthy. But the thing is, is where are there enough people? It's such a big state. So yeah, if you were right outside San Francisco and you could go to Ferry Plaza. I mean, we made $1,500 in one morning there. So if we lived close to a big group of people, yeah, we could do that. But then you can't afford the land. So for us, you know, you just have to, in every situation, figure out what works. And for us, it's to ship to the city because that's where people are. But we want to live here in the country. So... You can hear in what Mary says 
that part of evolving this business has been a process of identifying what aspects of the business she's willing to change and also acknowledging those that she feels strongly about keeping as they are. For example, she is committed deeply to the community of Humboldt County, and thus she has accepted the challenges of getting her cheeses to larger markets. As with so many others in the artisan cheese industry, this business has this feeling that it unfolded rather than having been fully conceived at the outset. It makes one wonder how exactly a not fully formed concept ever gets off the ground. There was no way I would go to a bank. I mean, I had nothing. Why would they loan me? I mean, I had nothing. <laughs> you know, so I was looking to start a co-op, but I couldn't even get any people to invest in that. So my, my um, stepdad said, you know, we'd really love it if you'd let us loan you $10,000. And that was so big, and I was too proud to have asked him. But it's like, if we can't invest in our kids, you know, he gave me this whole pitch about why I was doing him this big favor to borrow 10 grand. You can start with 10 grand today. I mean, you couldn't even get through the permits for 10 grand because laws are much more strict. It's expensive. I mean, I started with $10,000 from my parents. So, I mean, you don't buy a lot of stainless steel for $10,000. And, there, you know, we couldn't have started today with how funky we were then. And, you know, it was really tiny. And our market was all local. And it became clear really fast we couldn't stay in business and just sell in Humboldt County. I mean, before I started Cypress Grove, I used to open a new bank account every year on January 1st because I keep my balance. <laughs> I'm not a good business person, but I think ultimately with business, if you do a good job every day and, you know, you don't need to pay so much. I mean, I'm glad I have people that do that now. <laughs> but ultimately, don't you think if you just do a good job day in and day out, the business will thrive? I mean, if you pay attention to all the little pieces like the farms and the employees and the product and the milk, it can't hardly go wrong in a way. Mary's optimism is awesome. Seriously. And at this point in her career, she has gotten incredibly smart about asking for help where she needs it. One of the greatest things about Mary is her ability to hold a vision that goes beyond what other people can imagine, meaning that She's open enough to pursue something even before the details are all clear. To her credit, she has also surrounded herself with people who can hammer out those kinds of details, helping her to create the infrastructure to turn her dreams into realities. All the milk that comes in has to be tested for antibiotics. And um, we kind of go way beyond that. Every, every milk that comes in, we send to an outside lab because we really want our farmers to know that it's third party and it's not us. And so we test for bacteria, standard plate count, coliform, uh, a lab pasteurized count to see what milk survives pasteurization. We test for E. coli, uh, butterfat, protein, solids, not fat, all kinds of things. And so we pay our farms, there's a component for volume, but also on milk quality. And they get a big bonus if their milk quality is good. And when we figured out that piece of the bonus for quality, 
Archie's really obviously got way better, you know, because they want that money. And we want them to have it because it gives us the best product. So, yeah, we're really compulsive about quality. If you don't have anything, if you don't have, the world doesn't need another mediocre product. So we now have um, a person who is working with each farm on their business model and also on their dairy practices. And even if they have excellent management, you look at how much money that produces for a whole family, less costs. I mean, I grew up, I mean, I had goats. I know what it means. You're milking twice a day, every day in sickness and in health. It's more than a marriage. You've got hundreds of animals that are depending on you. And no matter how you feel, you go and you milk every day. And they barely scrape by at what we pay, which is almost three times what cows milk because there's all the labor. And they're at that stage where they're kind of too small to have a lot of money to buy equipment to get mechanized. And so that's why we do all this work with them. I mean, the best practices and um, business practices, you know, we have this consultant that's going to every farm now to help them because it really... You know, they just are like us, kind of growing a little bit at a time. And I don't, you know, I don't want to make my living off somebody else's suffering, and nobody does. And it's just the way it is here. Our costs are higher. So, and I think actually milk prices will have to go up to get people. It costs a lot of money to put in a milking system, and you can't milk a hundred goats by hand. Your hands just you'll have carpal tunnel syndrome. <laughs> you know, it just, your back and all the things. I mean, you need, and you have to take care of the animals if you want good milk. And there's all those reasons. Cypress Grove is definitely committed to quality in their products. And this interest in quality extends to other areas of their organization. During our conversation, it was abundantly clear how strongly Mary feels about providing value to her community through her business taking care of the people that she employs. I don't want to come to work every day. You can't feed your family on minimum wage. Who? It's just not okay. You know, we want to pay employees something that they could possibly live on. You know, it's a concept. If you want them to stay, you have to take care of them. Slowly but surely, Cypress Grove has figured out how to continue to grow and maintain their level of quality. They do what they do so well that, as with other pioneers in the industry, it is hard to imagine them as a disorganized, fledgling company. But they were. And they've arrived at their current status in the market because of years of work and dedication. But, in Mary's case, there may have also been a small dose of serendipity at play. Do you remember how you came up with the idea for the Humboldt Fog? It's such a, it's really such a unique, you know, something that clearly was like designed by someone's creativity. I'm assuming it's yours. It came in a dream. (laughs) Serious? Yeah. Judy and I had gone to Europe. It was my first time to come from Europe. And as I was flying back, I fell asleep in the plane and I woke up and there it was. And so I hurried back. I mean, I made it immediately so I wouldn't forget. But yeah. It was weird. That is so cool. Yeah, it was really cool. Everyone has a bag of tricks in business. Luckily, 
In addition to having very useful dreams, Mary is also an enthusiastic and committed worker who is undaunted by the seemingly unanswerable questions within the artisan cheese industry. Listening to this last clip, remember that when she started out, no one even thought about shipping cheese across the country. Oh, how things have changed. No. <laughs> nothing, I mean, nothing about doing this is really that easy. But it's not impossible and it's fun to figure it out. But, so, I mean, we, mostly we send to San Francisco is our biggest market. But some flies from there, some trucks from there, some we UPS. I mean, on any given day, we probably have six different shipping things going on. So it, it's not easy, but you just plug away at it and, you know, 